I'm Jerry Steele, and you're listening to the Miss McBookworm Podcast, a podcast that brings you stories from Christian women who write fiction. Today, I'm talking with author Marlene Jerome. You know how there are some people when you leave a conversation with them and you're more energized than when you started? Well, as an introvert, this doesn't happen for me very often, but it happened with my conversation with Marlene. And the thing is, I left our chat not just energized in general, but energized for the gospel because her love for Jesus just overflows in our talk as well as in her writing. It was just such a good reminder to hear how the Lord calls each of us differently and how he has gifted each of us differently, but we can all show our love for him and express that in different ways and in beautiful ways. So in this season's other episode, we'll have a couple of chapters from Marlene's book, Make a Wish, where she's imagining answered prayers for people. She's also written two novels, The Victor and In Plain Sight, both of which she talks more about here. I hope after you listen to the interview, you are as encouraged and uplifted as I was after we talked. Here's my conversation with Marlene Jerome. Yeah, just tell us about yourself and your journey to becoming a writer. Well, I never aspired to become a writer. Um, I'm an administrative assistant by trade. And however, in 1980, um, I was listening to an Amy Grant song called Fairy Tale. I actually worked for Contemporary Christian Music Magazine at the time. And I had this image pop into my head at this one verse. It said, two princes wage the battle for eternity, but the victor has been known from the start. And I love fairy tales. I, you know, I love medieval, love King Arthur, all that stuff. So in my head pops this image of Jesus in shining armor and Satan in black armor crossing swords over the bride of Christ. So I started writing <laughs> and I was writing this at work when I had nothing to do. And it was on a typewriter. So um, I looked busy and I was being productive, but, you know, I was my free time if I had nothing else to do. So I started writing it and um, my coworkers were waiting for pages to come off the typewriter so that they could read it. And so I, I, you know, this is back before computers and you had to retype everything with a typewriter. So it took me about a good year to write it. And while I when after I started, I said, Lord, you know, I really think this idea is from you, but I would like a scripture to confirm it. And in my head popped Psalm 45. So I didn't know what it said. So I go look up Psalm 45 and it just blew me away because the first verse said, my heart overflows with the good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. (laughs) And I was like, oh, wow. And then the whole rest of the psalm describes the wedding of the king to his bride that I use almost in its entirety at the end of the book. So, um, you know, I write purely from inspiration. I, I never went to college. The only writing course I took was in high school. And it was a very good writing course. It taught me about, you know, uh, conflict and um, antagonists and protagonists and the arcs and that had to be a climax and all that stuff. So, but I also, I learned writing from reading. My mom was a, a, a volunteer librarian and she would bring home a stack of books this tall every week from the library for me. And I would go through them like crazy. And um, so I could learn to read before I hit first grade, you know, very well. And then just to show you what an avid reader I am, um, I got a hold of the whole Hobbit Lord of the Rings set when I was 12. And I read the entire thing in a weekend. 
That's and then I read it reading. again the following week. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I wrote and I rewrote and I re-edited the Victor and I was just you know, I tried very hard to get it published. I printed it out and I actually paid somebody to bind, you know, my own copy for myself that I illustrated. Anyway, I could not get family or friends to read it, you know, even if I paid them. So after about 10 years, I gave up and I just dropped it for 15 years. And then um, I had a friend who I had grown up writing stories with um, say, you know, you should really try and try again, you know, because things are different. So I went online, I looked up Christian publishers, the one at the top of the list said, upload your book. So I uploaded it and didn't think anything would come of it. And didn't know if I really, my writing was any good because I couldn't get people to read my book. So a few months later, I get a call at work and hi, this, this is so-and-so from publishing and we like your book and we want to publish it. I'm like, you're who and you're one of what? <laughs> I thought it was a scam at first. And, um, but it wasn't. So I went through and, uh, I read, you know, all, everything that was involved. And, uh, this was the first version of the book. This is my book, number one bucket list item coming to fruition. And, uh, the interesting thing about this is that, um, because of my working at contemporary Christian music magazine back in the early 80s, my boss, John Still, had become the president of the Gospel Music Association at the time that this book came out. And I was still friends with him on Facebook. So I contacted him and I said, hey, boss, I was writing this book when I was working for you and it was inspired by Amy Grant. And uh, I'd like to let her know, you know, the book is going to press. So I can't find her who her management company is. So he said, here it is, here's the information, feel free to, you know, drop my name, which I did. So I wrote them, I wrote how I came to faith as a, a, a atheistic Jew when I was 17, how I got the idea for the book, which I told you, and um, I sent two copies of the book and waited to hear back. And then I got this back with her autograph in it. Let's see, can you see it? It's, it says... Merlin, congratulations on finishing this great project. God bless you, Amy Grant. So, um, and I got to meet her about 10 years ago. Wow. That's um, an amazing story. Yeah. So, uh, and then um, that publisher went bankrupt in 2017 and I kind of gave up on it. And then I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to republish it because the only copies available on Amazon were used. So, um, and I republished it myself and I had since re-edited it. I had several um, people in the publishing industry give me a list of stuff they thought would make the book better. So um, I incorporated everything except for a multi-book uh, thing. It's a standalone book because basically, um, that's the new cover. It, the Victor is basically the Bible as a medieval love story depicting the fall of Satan, the fall of man and the redemption of the bride as a romantic love story. So did that answer your question? <laughs> yes, it did. I love it. And I have to say too, this is a little bit of a side note, but I don't think I have ever 
prayed, at least in the way you said that, you know, asking God like to give you a scripture specifically to confirm which direction you think he's leading. And I love that. That is such, that is such an insightful idea. I, so yeah, God and I are going to have to talk about that later. (laughs) That's actually my, um, uh, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer is actually my, um, I forget what you call it, the technical term, but it's my writing motto. Mm. Oh, that's fantastic. I think you're an amazing writer. I love your work. And I I think that um, that's an excellent point about teaching yourself kind of through reading that we get better, we get to be better writers through reading. So you have a variety of types. I mean, you talked about the Victor some, but you've got a couple of other types of books out there. Um, But you seem to kind of have that element of, of fantasy or, you know, the little bit of the Lord of the Rings inspiration. I could see that too. So tell me a little bit about how you start a project, how you decide what direction to go and sort of the genre that you enjoy writing in. Well, it's, it's gotta be through inspiration. I can't write because I have to write. So make a wish. The second book um, is a collection of short stories and it really started out as a gift for somebody. Um, Like I said, when I was a teenager, me and my best friend, we put ourselves in as characters in our favorite TV show at the time, The Six Million Dollar Man, I came over for a sleepover. She said, I have a surprise for you. And she gave, she had this story and it was like 10 pages and we read it. And it was so much fun seeing ourselves as characters in the story. So I wrote one. Then she wrote another one. We s- literally wrote a couple hundred of these short stories each. So when I found out that the husband of a friend who had reviewed the victor, um, he was, his name is Henry. He was a quadriplegic since the age of 14. He was in his fifties at this time. He, uh, I found out he was depressed and he hadn't gotten out of bed in weeks. And I felt, you know, it's like, what can I do to cheer him up? You know? So I thought I could write him a story. So I wrote a story where he wakes up in heaven and he can, he could wiggle his toes and he can stand up and he can run and he, you know, he meets Jesus. And um, it was just a two page story. And, and so I, I wrote it like in an hour and then I emailed it to them and I get a call from them the next morning. And they said, we were crying so hard. We could barely get through this story. How it had all these particular specifics in the story that were perfect for Henry that I didn't know about, like, that orange blossoms were his favorite scent, that he's always trying to wiggle his toes to see if they'll work, that he, all he wants to do when he gets to heaven is run, 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 run for Jesus. And it was all those elements were in the story. And I was just floored by the reaction. So then they asked me to write a story for two of their friends. One, her name was Donna. Her daughter, Violet, died suddenly at 18. What, I mean, she went to bed that night and the next morning she's dead. They never found out why. So I wrote a story for her, uh, Butterfly Kisses, where she gets to reunite with her daughter for one day. Same reaction, you know, um, and then for another friend whose husband had died in her arms, same reaction. So I ended up writing 30 of these short stories for people I barely knew. And um, I actually have some of the reactions I was totally blown away when I read my wish story. It touched me so much. Tears of joy flowed down my cheeks. It was more than what I expected. You'll be amazed at the inspirational God-given messages through the writings of this awesome author. Um, Just about everybody cried. And then one of the stories that's closest to my heart, um, when I was going to publish this book, uh, I had a friend named Kathy. And 
I'd known her since her 20s and all Kathy ever wanted to be was a medical missionary to India. And she wound up getting Lyme disease that was undiagnosed for 15 years and her health just went downhill. So she never, never could hold, couldn't hold a job. She's trapped at home, could barely eat, couldn't stand feel of clothing on her skin, never got married, never had kids, just led this completely isolated life where all she could do was really study. And I'm in the car and I'm praying to God. I said, God, I got to have a story for Kathy. You know, I need, I want a story for Kathy. And I can't find the song. I try, actually tried finding it before this podcast, but it was a Christian, a Christian song came on the radio the moment I'm praying this. And it was talking about Mary and Martha and how Martha's upset at Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. And I thought, that's it. That's the story. So I sat down and I wrote um, a story called At the Master's Feet for Kathy, where she wakes up. And all of a sudden she's like in Jerusalem and she's got this long hair and Jesus is in the living room, uh, a room and he's, he's teaching and she's hearing stuff she's never heard before. And she's just enraptured. And all of a sudden she feels this shadow come over her. And there's this woman standing by her and say, Lord, tell my sister to help me. And she's like, is she talking to me? <laughs> and she was Mary in this scenario. And so all of a sudden she's back in her bedroom and the Lord is talking and says, you know, I know you have grieved not being able to do what you always wanted to do to be a missionary, but I have chosen the way of Mary for you, for you to sit at my feet and learn of me. And I sent her this story and she wrote me back and she said, you have no idea what this story meant to me. I actually have her note here. I kept it all these years. This was 10 years ago. And she said, I just have to tell you again how awesome that story is. Every time I read it, I'm lifted above my circumstances and reminded of the one goal that is the most important for any of us, to sit at Jesus' feet and learn of him. Thank you again. I'll never have a better birthday gift as long as I live. I am honored that you wrote it and that you included it in your book. I hope it blesses others as much as the whole book has blessed me. A year and a half after that Make-A-Wish came out, I got a note from her mom. It was actually today, 10 years ago today. And it said, Dear Marlene, it is with great sadness that I write this note to you, but I feel you would want to know. On Friday, July 20th, Kathy went to be with the Lord after months of increasing pain and suffering. Your friendship and keeping in touch with her over the years meant so much to Kathy. She was very fond of you and counted you as a treasured friend. At least now she's out of pain and home with the Lord. Bless you and your family. So that's the story that had the most impact on me emotionally because I didn't want her to feel like her whole life had been wasted sitting in her room, you know. And I think that was God-inspired. I think all these stories were God-inspired to comfort people. I think that's amazing. I, you know, that story specifically. But, you know, as writers, we hear so much about this idea that we should be serving our audience. And I think a lot of us want to. But it, sometimes that seems overwhelming, this idea of like a a vague audience of just like a random group of people. But I love that with this, you are serving like one particular person just again and again, you know, and writing a story for them, you have served 
this person. And I just think, I think that's incredible. And it must be so gratifying to hear like what the story has meant to them too. Yeah. I, I really have no idea what the, I just wrote one recently. I think I sent you the response. Um, This woman lost her son. He was mentally ill for many years and finally, and she fought desperately for him, asked us to pray for years for him. And just as he was getting better, he died. And I, I really don't know what he died of. And I just, really had it on my heart that I, I wanted to write her story. And I struggled for a couple of weeks of what to write at first. I was going to write it from her point of view and it just wasn't gelling. So then I say, God, you know, I just, you need to help me. And then at night I woke, you know, I was waiting to go to sleep and the idea came in my head to write it from her son's point of view in heaven. And I wrote her a, a one page story and I sent it to her and she's like, you have no idea what this meant to me. She, she feels like she got a confirmation from heaven that this was real. Um, that it's the only thing that has comforted her. Um, and it's, it's called more than a summer breeze. And the, in the story, her son is telling the Lord in heaven, I want to do something to comfort my mom. She's suffering. She's grieving. Um, she fought so hard for me. I want to do something for her. And, and, so the they talk and he comes upon the idea. Well, every time she feels a summer breeze or a breeze caressing her cheek, it will be me loving on her. And um, it's like a postcard from heaven. And I, I watch a lot of videos of people who've died, you know, believers who've died and gone to heaven and come back. And these postcards from heaven idea is a real thing. You know, where um, they'll dream of somebody who died um, talking to them in their dreams. And it's, that's like a postcard from heaven. So, um, I'm actually looking for more wishes from people. Um, I have a website and I, I have a newsletter. It's just, it's brand new. So I don't have any subscribers, but I'm looking to write more wishes for people for another book. So anybody who, you know, has lost a loved one or is grieving or, you know, I don't know what the, you know, I, I go based upon what the Lord inspires me to write, you know, it's to glorify him more than anything. So if you're out there and you want to wish, <laughs> write me. <laughs> well, we will link to your website in the show notes for sure. Um, but tell me a little bit about what else you're working on next besides the wish project. Um, well, I have a, a third book in plain sight. I don't know if you want to know about that one. Um, so I was challenged to write an Amish book because it's the biggest seller. And uh, I've, I've only been a tourist to Lancaster County. And I'm thinking, well, I'm from the, I'm from the land of fruits and nuts. What am I going to write? And uh, I, then I thought, well, how hard could it be? You know, there's the internet out there for research. So I'm thinking about it. And all of a sudden, this vision of crop circles in Amish farmland pops in my head. And I remembered... Uh, uh, an editor of a um, uh, publishing house uh, saying, you know, don't give me the buggy and bonnet books, but if you give me Amish vampires from outer space, that I'll publish. So that gave me the, I didn't do the vampire part, but I did do uh, a book called In Plain Sight where uh, these two boys show up at an Amish barn raising and they look and act Amish and they sound Amish, but their eyes are silver and gold. And um, it, it's a, I had no idea where I was going to go with the story and about halfway through when I got to the chapter, the whoopie pie hits the fan. It really started 
clicking and it's a really fun read. It's a very fun read. And there's a huge surprise at the end um, that I'm not going to spoil. And I put my mom in there as a character and I put my UPS driver brother-in-law in in there as a character. And it's featured in Bird in Hand because I visited Bird in Hand in Pennsylvania and um, I have book trailer for it. And um, it's a really fun read. The fourth book I have not published yet. Um, it's Amish contemporary romance, and it's probably the most personal to date for me. Um, it's I always thought, well, what would I do if I lost my husband? My husband is the love of my life, my soulmate. Um, I couldn't imagine life without him. So I wrote a story where a woman in her 30s who has an adoptive daughter, like I do, who they never bonded. Her husband drops dead of a brain aneurysm on, in the kitchen. And this actually happened to my first love, Barry, who is right here. Um, he was, I was 22 and it was unrequited, but we were very good friends. And I got a call from his mom saying he had a brain aneurysm, was in the hospital. He was gone like that. He was just gone that fast. So that's the character in the book, loses her husband to a brain aneurysm. And she can't afford to stay in California. She has a hospitality and um, culinary arts degrees. So she sells her home in California, picks up steaks, and she buys an Amish farmhouse that's been listed for sale at a really discounted rate in Lancaster County, PA. And she moves there, dragging her very aggravated daughter with her. And the, the man who owned the farmhouse is about the same age And he lost his wife and five children in a buggy accident about the same time she lost her husband. So he's devastated. She's devastated. He sold, you know, but she provides help for him because Amish men don't cook. They don't do their laundry. They just take care of the farm and the animals. So um, rather than sell the whole farm and go to live, you know, in a little room with his relatives, he keeps the farm. He sells most of the land off and he moves into the, in-law house, which is called the Dottie house. She moves into the main house to convert it into an Amish style B&B. So she cooks for him, does his laundry, and they start developing uh, a friendship and then a relationship. And then, but she's all alone. She knows nobody there. She has no friends or family. And she's having a really hard time fitting in with the community. And her daughter, who didn't want to go there in the first place, is having a much easier time. And so uh, romance ensues but it's forbidden because he's Amish and she's English and they're not supposed to uh mix so there's that you know tension and it's like what's going to happen you know he could be excommunicated and shunned and um it comes to a head everything comes to a head oh well I'm looking forward to reading it already so oh very nice well Switching gears just a little bit, you've also written about your journey with breast cancer and you shared pretty publicly about that. So can you talk to me about um, that decision to write on a more personal note as well? Yes, I'm always looking for ways to share my faith. Um, I became a Jesus freak when I was 17. I went from being an atheistic Jew to a total Jesus freak. So I'm always, I always want to be able to share my faith. And my coworkers were all like, you know, well, please update me and I thought this is the perfect excuse to share my faith. So I created a blog called Kvetching with Marlene. Kvetching is a Yiddish word means to complain. So um, 
and so I shared my faith on there. So that's where I update everybody on what's going on. So I, I was diagnosed with faith, uh, what is it? Stage two breast cancer, um, last October. And, uh, so I set up the blog and just started documenting what was happening, but I was also inserting scripture, you know, how I'm relying on the Lord, how no matter what happens, I have faith in him. I'm not worried about it. And really I've never been worried about, it. I've been through much worse medically than breast cancer. Um, so, um, <laughs> so I shared one post. I'm, I'm part of a clinical trial now for these hormone blockers. And I have a choice of being put on the experimental drug or the traditional drug. I didn't get to choose. They chose me for the traditional drug, but I posted in a Facebook group for women who are on these drugs, uh, my blog post about the clinical trial. Well, as a result of that, I went from an average of 20 views on my blog to over 200 all over the globe. I was just, it was so fun to get an update every day, Bulgaria, Spain, France, Germany, the UK, Australia, all over the US, you know, people reading my blog and, and my faith, you know, about my faith. And I'm, I'm very blatant about it. So I'll never know, you know, until eternity comes, uh, what kind of impact it had, but hopefully it reached other people, you know. Well, you talked a little bit at the beginning about kind of squeezing writing in when you were working as a, a full-time administrative assistant, but just talk a little bit about your writing process, how you prioritize that, how you make time, just kind of how it works behind the scenes for you. Well, I don't outline, I don't map out anything. I don't, pre I write like I'm watching a movie. So for the Victor, it was when I had nothing to do at work. Um, for Make-A-Wish and In Plain Sight, uh, that was when I was laid off for two years. So I had plenty, you know, In Plain Sight, I got done in, I think, four months. And Make-A-Wish was easy because people would tell me what their wishes were. So I really don't have a process other than I watch the movie that's playing in my head, scene by scene, and, and write that way. And the first draft is the hardest. And then going back and editing and embellishing is what's easiest. That is so funny because, and, and I am very excited to hear you say it because that's how I've described writing for my husband. And he like, he, he writes creatively as well. And it's a completely different approach for him. And he's like, literally you like see it in your head. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> like sometimes I will even close my eyes and just type out what I'm seeing. It's like, I'm watching a movie and yeah, I'm writing and it, probably, it down. <laughs> and it probably reads like a movie. I've been told that all my books read like they're a movie. Yeah, yeah. For, well, for sure. I, I could see that with yours. So I feel like every one of your answers has had an element of this, but I still always save this question for last where I ask people how your faith informs your writing and vice versa. So is there anything more related to that that, that you want to share that maybe you haven't already? My writing is completely focused around my faith either comforting people, sharing the Lord with people in a way that is inspirational to them, or, you know, I came to faith watching Jesus of Nazareth on TV as a atheist, um, because it got back the, it, it got past the watchful dragons that C.S. Lewis referred to, because I had a Jewish bias against Jesus growing up, you know, Jesus freaks were um, witnessing to me when I was in junior high, and and it's like, leave me alone. I'm Jewish, you know, 
even though I didn't know what that meant. And um, the harder they witnessed to me, the more I went like that. So Jesus of Nazareth came on TV in 1977. And I was so emotionally drawn. I don't know. Have you seen that movie? It's Franco Zeffirelli. You can get it on. You can rent it. It's six hours. Um, it was a TV movie that aired over the course of several nights. I was so emotionally drawn into that movie and the acting was so good. It was so realistic. It gets up to the crucifixion scene and I'm crying my eyes out and they're pounding the nails in his hands. And this thought came to me from the outside, just like Psalm 45 popped in my head. If he could do that for me, the least I could do is give him my life. And I prayed right in front of the TV set to accept Christ. And then I went to my friend in the neighborhood who I knew went to church and said, I want to go to your church this Sunday and accept Christ as my savior. And she was like, <laughs> I'm in so much trouble with her parents. I mean, it was a 180 because not a week earlier, I'd said, why would you want to go to church more than once a year? You know, I was making fun of her. I couldn't imagine anything more boring. I became the Jesus freak I used to make fun of. And I started reading the Old Testament and I discovered Jesus is all over the Old Testament. You know, I was like, this isn't a denial of my Jewish faith. This is the fulfillment of my Jewish faith. So I wanted my book, the first book, The Victor, to do that for others, what Jesus of Nazareth had done for me, which was to, there's no mention of God anywhere in The Victor. It's just a parallel story of the fall of Satan, the fall of man, and the redemption of the bride is a medieval love story, and it's got scripture references throughout it. So I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to reach people who are like me, won't go to church, don't want to be witnessed to, but will get engaged on an emotional level with the characters. And all of a sudden the light may go on. I am so excited. I, I feel like I am just inspired hearing your testimony. And like, I, I don't know, I feel encouraged and uplifted. And I am sure people listening to the interview are going to feel the same. So um, anything else you'd like to share that I've not asked again, um, we'll link to your website in the show notes and um, yeah, all that good stuff. So anything else before we finish up? I love to make new friends. I'm on Facebook as author Marlene Jerome and my website. I will respond to everybody who emails me. If you want a, your own wish story, you all you have to do is tell me about yourself and what your wish is, and we'll see what the Lord comes up with. And I would also love subscribers to my newsletter featuring true life angelic encounters and answers to prayer and a call for wishes. Well, thank you so much.